Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 199th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 670th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of January 28th, 2021. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. So our last edition of Assembly Call Radio was all the way back on December 17th, and at that time, Indiana was 4-2 and after beating North Alabama. Since then, the Hoosiers have gone 5-5, and ironically winning the toughest game in that stretch by 12 at Iowa, while also dropping three home games to teams ranked 30th or worse and needing overtime to avoid losing a fourth. In other words, here in Archie Miller's fourth season, these Hoosiers are still the same old mediocre, inconsistent Hoosiers that we've come to know just with slightly higher computer rankings in a season where most Big Ten teams have pretty good computer rankings. In other words, not much has happened over the last six weeks that really fills any IU fan with much legitimate hope that the program is on a discernible path toward a sixth banner right now. But it is my job to squint and strain and stretch to find something positive to grasp onto, and so I will, and it's actually a pretty important one. My better moment this week encompasses the 14 offensive and defensive possessions that Armand Franklin, Christian Lander, and Anthony Leal played together against Rutgers. In an otherwise disappointing performance by Indiana, these three young players gave Indiana fans some reason to believe in the future of the program. With the three of them playing together, Indiana outscored Rutgers by .43 points per possession. That's a ton. During the other 53 possessions of the game, Rutgers hammered Indiana by .17 points per possession. Now, this is a really small sample size, like really, really small. And the offensive output was obviously buoyed by Christian Lander's best shooting as a collegian. He's not going to keep making every three-pointer he takes. But I do think it's telling that in a home game Indiana absolutely had to have, its underclassmen in the backcourt outperformed its upperclassmen. Now, to be fair, Rob and Al have had their moments over the past six weeks. Both were key in the Iowa win, for example. But at the end of the day, they are what they are, role players. They are low-usage, moderately efficient guards in a game that is won or lost with guard play. Sure, you can win with low-usage, moderately efficient guards when they are flanked by NBA talent on the wings and in the post. Look at Michigan this season. But that's rare. Most teams, especially in the Big Ten, need high-usage, efficient guards to compete at the top of the conference. Now, I don't know if Lander, Leal, and Franklin can get there over the next few seasons, but I'm at least intrigued to find out. What we do know is that Franklin and Lander's DNA as basketball players is to be aggressive and put pressure on a defense. Both have usage rates deemed significant, quote-unquote, which means 20% or higher. Armand's is actually 25% in conference games. And Leal's shooting ability gives him a chance to be a Nick Zeisloff type, who may be low usage but very high in efficiency. Modern offenses are built around backcourt trios like this. Look, I'm not writing off Rob and Al. The irony of this banner moment is that they've actually improved of late. On balance over the last six weeks, they've played some of the best basketball of their careers. But I think it's fair to say that big picture, on an Indiana roster capable of competing for a Big Ten title, they both would be reserve players playing specific roles instead of featured players playing three quarters of the minutes. For this Indiana program to legitimately take the next step, 
its guard play has to become more dynamic and more consistent. Are Lander, Leal, and Franklin the guys to do it? I don't know. But if the Archie Miller era is ever going to get over the hump, they'll have to be. And on Sunday against Rutgers, they at least showed a small flash that they might be. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show, To My Left. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, Let me quickly add just one thing about this. The dude just interrupted his own jingle. Sometimes you are just walking into a bear's mouth. Ryan, what is your rant on the last six weeks in IU basketball? Boy, it's been disappointing, hasn't it? Um, I think, you know, I don't know, remember exactly what the last game was before we did a show. So I don't know where to chart that out, but let's just look at Big Ten play. I mean, a loss at home to Northwestern, uh, where, you know, Audis just went off at the end, but at the same time, they shouldn't have even been in that situation to begin with. It shouldn't have been that close. You go on the road to Illinois and you're playing well and you look like you have a chance to contend and then just drop the ball over the last few minutes and certain guys didn't show up for that game. You lose in double overtime at Wisconsin uh, in a game you had plenty of opportunities to win and couldn't get over the hump and do it. Uh, then you get whacked at home by Purdue. You go on the road to Iowa and you win a game and it looks like, hey, maybe this is the turning point and then follow that up by dropping the ball at home against Rutgers. I mean, it's this team. I know we used to talk about during the Crean era that it was one year to the next was just crazy you know, fluctuations and what everything would be. I mean, with Archie Miller, it's game to game. You don't know what you're going to get out of these teams. And and the stat that they're two and nine, I believe it was following up top 25 wins in his era in, in you know, under in his coaching era. I mean, that's astonishingly bad that you can beat a top 25 team and not follow it up with a win is, is unbelievable. And this week off is probably the best thing that could happen to them at this point after that loss, simply because the last time they had a week off due to a cancellation, they came out and played really well. Problem is they didn't follow it up and they didn't give you any hope that they would continue to be able to win a big game and ever follow it up again. Uh, so they got Illinois next week and that's a game at this point with the games you've lost at home. You've got to win. You have to win that game. If you want to, sort of build on anything. And then guess what? There's no rest. You welcome Iowa back. And Iowa's itching to get back at Indiana for that for that game. So you've had opportunities to really build yourself and pad yourself a, a nice resume, and you've blown them against Northwestern, against Wisconsin, against Purdue. You've had a chance, and you haven't taken advantage of it. And how many times in four years can you not take advantage of the opportunities given to you and still want people to have faith in you. That's where I'm at right now. And I'm not just talking about the coaches. I'm talking about the, the players as well. At some point, somebody has to step up and take advantage of something that's handed to you. They've had opportunities handed to them. And this could be, I mean, they could easily have 12 wins right now and be 12 and four and solidly inside the top 25. I mean, easily. I'm not talking about if a bunch of things go their way. I'm talking about if somebody for two minutes in a game plays better they could be there and they're not. And that's a problem. And we're continuing deal, continually dealing with that problem. And overall, that's the issue with this program right now. And so that's where we are. Hmm. Well said. Okay. To my right. He is the founder and editor of inside the hall, the host of podcast on the brink. 
and the most underpaid PR representative of Disney World. He is Alex Bozich. Alex, take us inside the hall. Where the heck are we with this basketball program right now? A great question and one that, that I don't know that I have all the answers for, but thanks for thanks for having me back on Assembly Call Radio. It's, uh, it's good to be back, see both of your smiling faces here, but you know, it's it's uh, is it really good to see Ryan's face. I mean, that's polite and all. It is, but is it really that, good? That, that beard is beautiful. I mean, it's <laughs> I appreciate it. You know what? I don't get enough compliments on this thing. I appreciate that. But um, man, how long do we have tonight, Jared? We have an hour, right? <laughs> I mean, unless we need more. Coach and I went for an hour and 45 minutes after the Rutgers game. So sometimes you just need more time. I, I had to turn it off eventually. I'll be honest well, with you. <laughs> There's a lot of things uh, to talk about, obviously, but you know, I think I'll start with the th- with what you mentioned, kind of off the top, Jared, about the guard play, and I think there is something to the fact that Rob Finnessy and Al Durham's inconsistencies are a big problem with this team. Uh, they're upperclassmen guards. They are two guys who, by this point in their careers, you should at least have a baseline of expectation on what you can get from them on a game-to-game basis, and it's uh, just not happening. Uh, when they do play well, uh, see like the Iowa game, Indiana can be a really good team. When they don't play well, they Indiana has some of their worst losses. I think the Northwestern game was a game neither one of those guys did very much. Um, the Rutgers game, neither one of those uh, guys were – were very good and, and so it's really leaving this program and this team in particular in position where if Trace Jackson Davis isn't elite, Indiana's not gonna win any games. Uh it's it's it really to me it comes down to that. Um in, in terms of what's gone on in conference play, I think the biggest disappointment for Indiana fans, uh and, and just anyone I think probably within the program is is the defense so far in conference play because that was something that early in the season that Indiana was really able to hang its hat on, had some really good performances, you know, the, the, to get them to that five and two non-conference record. And, and I think most people felt like, you know, if, if this program was going to, you know, kind of make a jump into that top half of the big 10 standings, it was going to have to be with defense. And right now uh, looking at their efficiency numbers, I haven't looked at them uh, in a couple of days and I don't know if there's anything changed, but I know uh, that their offense is ranked higher than it is than the defense is in Big Ten play. That's not a good sign for uh, what Archie Miller is trying to do. Um, so it's it's very frustrating, I think, for a lot of people uh, that watch this team. Um, I'm getting a lot of questions. You said take 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 me uh, inside the hall. Uh, the, the thing that's most concerning to me, like in terms of the fan base right now, it very much feels like to me right now that people are starting to pick sides. Uh, it's either Archie's the guy and we still want to stick beside him or we're done with the guy. And it, it's not really a great place to be, I don't think, for an athletic department or a coach in year four of your tenure where you've already got people, and I don't know what the percentage of them uh, actually is, but you've already got people writing them off. Um, so, you know, I don't I, I don't have the answers. Um but to me, uh, I look at the guards and, and I really just look at kind of the starting lineup right now. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, you look at Indiana's starters right now, besides Trace Jackson Davis, who in the starting lineup for one of the top teams in the Big Ten would, would start or play a significant role on those teams? 
I don't think there's – I don't know who I can point to. Armand Franklin, when he's playing well, yes, but the last couple of games since he's been hurt, he's not that guy. So, you know, I think they're hev- too heavily relying on one player to produce an elite level uh, game in and game out, and Trace had a bad game against Rutgers and Indiana uh, in turn lost. So, and the thing the thing that Ryan brought up about the, the losses after rank wins, I mean, that's a problem because it shows that they can't build any sustained momentum. I mean, you would you would have thought that after the Iowa game, they come home and take care of business. They want to get a win against Rutgers and then take them into this huge week against Illinois and Iowa. All of a sudden, you win three or four games in a row, and the season's totally different. It's like they take two steps forward, and then it's another step back. Yeah, and instead our center stands flat-footed during the opening tip. <laughs> I didn't even see that. <clears throat> I understand there was some controversy this week about warm-ups or something. Somebody sent me a couple yeah. links, but we got a question about it, so we can. Okay, we'll it was on a show it. we're real popular on. They yeah. talked about. <laughs> yeah. it. I have yeah. some takes on that. Okay, well we'll we'll get to that. So here's what we're going to talk about this week. We got some Hoosier headlines, and then we're going to continue this conversation about where the program stands more than midway through year four of the Archie Miller era. And we got a bunch of questions from you guys. So we're going to sprinkle those throughout the proceedings here uh, this evening. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all of that, I want to talk a little bit about insulation and specifically superior insulation from our friends at Superior Insulators. And the first thing that you need to know about them, as with almost all of our sponsors, is that they are diehard Hoosiers. Brad, the owner of Superior Insulation, is an IU fan and a longtime Assembly Call listener. And the second thing that you need to know about Super Superior Insulation is that they will literally make your life more comfortable by helping you fix drafty rooms, cold floors, and even excess noise. Plus, their systems help you save money through lower utility bills. More comfort and cost savings? That's like Christian Lander making threes and playing solid defense in the same game. It seems crazy, but now it's real. And with winter here bringing its frigid temperatures, now is the perfect time to invite Brad and his team out to your home or business so that they can do for you what they did for IU. Yes, the Superior Insulators did all the air barrier systems and spray foam for the new IU Excellence Academy. Brad and his team also worked on the new football locker room, Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings on campus. Like I said, they are Hoosiers through and through and damn good at what they do. A longtime listener named Rick, uh, who Alex might know, reached out back in December and told me he booked a consultation with Superior Insulation, and you should too. Because check this out. They have a special offer for Assembly Call listeners. You will get a $50 Home Field Apparel gift card when you call and schedule an appointment in a qualifying area. And the Superior Insulators have four locations covering roughly the southern two-thirds of Indiana plus the northern part of Kentucky. Just tell them the assembly call sent you to get your gift card. So visit insulators.com or just Google Superior Insulation to learn more and schedule your appointment. Then Brad and his team can help you create a healthier, quieter, and more energy efficient home. That's insulators.com, insulators.com to learn more and tell them the assembly call sent you to get your $50 home field apparel gift card. All right, gentlemen. Let's do uh, some Hoosier headlines here. A couple things that I just saw fly by on Twitter. One, Rutgers apparently beat Michigan State 67-37. to 37. <laughs> So this is the kind of bizarro college basketball world that we're living in right now. And I saw that the tip time was announced for the Illinois game on Tuesday, and it is a 9 o'clock tip. So good for those of you living in San Diego. Not so good for the rest of us. That's right. That's right during <laughs> dinner time, man. It's rough. Um, I mean, you guys have it easy. So, but the first headline that I want to hit right off the top is news that broke today 
that Matt Cross, a former IU target, is leaving the Miami program, leaving or kicked off. I don't know if there's been official confirmation of that, heard different things. Um, obviously, this provided a, a nice moment of optimism for IU fans as everybody started picturing the lineup next year with Matt Cross already in it because we're kind of at that stage of the season. Alex, have you... I think a lot of Indiana fans remember this recruitment, remember that Archie was really high on him. I don't remember where Indiana finished. I know they were in the, the final four. Is there any reason at this point for IU fans to get excited about this yet? Or is this just something we got to see wait and play out and we just don't know enough right now? Yeah, well, it sounds like Jeff Goodman tweeted, or, or Jeff Goodman did tweet earlier that it was a Miami decision that he's gone from the program. So I guess my next question would be, what specifically are the circumstances of his departure? And I think that's going to be the question for uh, a lot of programs who would be interested, uh, who wouldn't be interested in a kid who's what, six foot seven, eight, that can shoot threes and space the floor. I got a chance to watch him play a couple weeks ago uh, when they played Louisville. And I was watching him. And I was like, this, this is kind of what Indiana needs uh, really on its team this year. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's a situation where you got to figure out what uh, kind of went wrong for him at Miami and uh, whether or not you'd be interested in, in bringing him in. But in, in terms of fit, in terms of talent, in terms of familiarity, uh, you, you asked about where Indiana finished. I mean, they got an official visit from him. So yeah. uh, they were obviously clearly there in the mix. So, I mean, if I'm Indiana, I'm, I'm at least making phone calls and trying to figure out exactly – uh, what happened, but but you don't necessarily like to see uh, a headline that a, that a guy was the decision was Miami's uh, that he's leaving on January 28th. Usually, when a transfer or something like that happens, at least wait till the end of the season or do it mid season. But this is kind of right in the middle of of things, so that kind of raises the red flag. But you know, that's I, what, I, I that's what Miami time, says time. anyway that it was their decision. So yeah, I mean. Exactly. So if it wasn't need a decision, to find out then, then I would expect the kid to come out or somebody close to the kid and, and give us the story. So yeah, it'll come out. Trust me. It'll, it'll, it'll definitely always comes trickle out. out. Always comes out. Always comes out. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on Matt Cross? Yeah, I think that, it, you know, here's the thing is, as Alex said, you got to figure out what happened first. I mean, and I'm sure that every program in the country that it was even remotely connected to Matt Cross is making a lot of phone calls right now because that's a talented kid who, as Alex said, can shoot the ball, is power forward, small forward size, like would be an undersized stretch four or a small forward, exactly what Indiana is missing on their roster, especially for next year. Uh, but, you know, it's you lose out on a guy like Trey Kaufman and Matt Cross fills that a similar role as a guy who can move and stretch the floor and stuff. And I watched him play a couple times this year. He was fitting in well in college basketball. He could play in college basketball, you know, at, at a high level. That wasn't a guy who, you know, was over recruited and, and showed up and then all of a sudden needed to develop. He can play now. And so I think there are going to be a lot of schools across this country digging into sources to figure out exactly what happened. And it'll come out whether it comes out exactly what it was or not. The gist will come out. And if you're Indiana, you have open scholarships. I think you've got to start. You got to make those phone calls like immediately. And I'm sure they are. I mean, every every, every school is going to be working the phones on this one. So, uh, yeah. If if it's nothing completely objectionable and horrible, uh, that's a guy you got to consider, especially considering who you missed out on in this recruiting cycle. It, it might not be bad to take a flyer on that as a transfer. And, and transfers are, you know, it, it's funny. Indiana fans have sort of a visceral, visceral reaction against taking transfers 
because that's just not how the program operated for so long. It recruited at such a high level. You could kind of pick and choose who you wanted. And you didn't take junior college guys and you didn't really take transfers. You lost transfers. You didn't take transfers. Well, that's not college basketball anymore. There are high level transfers at top level schools all the time now. It's part of the game and you never stop recruiting and you never stop you know, looking for ways to fix your team immediately. And the transfer can definitely help, especially with the ways the rules are allowing people to transfer without having to sit out a year. And that's why most school, you know, a lot of top schools didn't do it for a long time because you had to plan out a year in advance what your roster was going to look like. Now you can get immediate impact transfers and it definitely changes the game. Worked in 1987. Do what you got to do to get the guys that fit your program and help you win. Agree a hundred percent. One last topic. I want to hear here real quick on the topic of transfers. Alex, we saw that Parker Stewart arrived on campus. You know, Cliff Marshall's tweeting out pictures of him working out. He's showing up at games. Is there any reason yet for IU fans to start holding their breath that he will play this year? As we know, he can if he wants to without burning a year of eligibility. But there was a lot of talk that he kind of wanted to get acclimated, get back in shape, all that stuff. What, what do you think? Is there anything to be waiting around for on that right now? Well, I asked Archie Miller about it a couple weeks ago. Um, after I knew that he had arrived, uh, there was a period of time where once he got on campus, he had to clear quarantine and protocol and all that before he could actually be around his teammates and be around the program, be in practice. And Archie had said at that time, I think it was probably two and a half weeks ago, two weeks ago, maybe that it was going to be, um, the following week to where he, maybe he would start doing some things in terms of practice. I mean, I think ultimately it's going to come down to whether the kid himself wants to play. I don't, I don't think it's a situation where, uh, I mean, I mean, I could be wrong here because I, I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think if you're Indiana, you're turning down any help at this point in the season based on uh, the performance uh, recently. Uh, this is a guy that's played at the highest level of division one. So it's not like he's coming in uh, as a young guy that has no experience. Uh, so, from a shooting perspective, can he help? Yes. Uh, defensively, uh, you know, I don't know what the ramp up period is for him to get uh, acclimated to the pack line. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be an adjustment period. The thing I, I wonder is from a strength and conditioning uh, perspective, him not playing all season. And then you've also got to take into effect, uh, into account that, you know, his dad tragically passed away a couple months ago from a mental perspective that's a lot of burden for, for any person to, uh, to kind of, uh, process. And, and, you know, if he's not ready from that perspective, it'd be totally understandable. So it's gotta be a situation I think where he's totally a hundred percent ready to do it. But if I'm in, if I'm Indiana and, and he wants to get in there at some point, uh, yeah, I'd probably like it to be a little bit sooner rather than later. I don't know that you want to put him in for his first minutes in March, but, you know, if he can do it in the next couple of weeks, you know, I think it's something definitely worth exploring. Yeah. Okay. Well, coming up after 10 straight post-game shows with no assembly car radio, it is time to kind of take a step back and look at the big picture. And we will do that. What is the state of Indiana basketball right now? And how much can things change over the rest of this particular season to change our outlook? Stick with us here on the assembly car. To remind pet owners that Progressive covers pets on our auto policy at no extra charge, we decided to make a really cute pet-themed radio commercial. Can you hear that, puppy? If you could see this, you would melt. I mean, just the softest fur. Oh, wait. He's trying to open this box now. And... Oh! 
Oh, the box is filled with kittens. If only there was some way you could see this. <laughs> What a glaring oversight. Get coverage for your pets with an auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and is subject to policy terms. Mexico is more than a country. It's a feeling. Wherever you feel Mexican, there is Mexico. Let's celebrate it. Tecate. Mexico is in us. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Alex. It's good to have you here, man. Thanks for having me. So one, uh, one story I was going to hit there, and we kind of ran out of time, was Tyler's story inside the hall today about Armand Franklin and his mom. And uh, I, uh, Ryan, did you have a chance to read that yet? Not yet. I have it bookmarked. It's it's terrific, and I highly recommend that everybody go read it. And it, you know, Tyler really does a good job of of telling the story of their really unique, special relationship. And got a picture of the tattoos. They both have a love tattoo on their arm that they got together. Uh, and I was actually I was texting with Miss Franklin earlier tonight, and I told her I'm not I'm not sending that article to my mom because she's going to get jealous that I don't have a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> with love on it for my mom but it's a it's a really it's your mom's a great... probably cool with that actually jared it's what'd you say i said your mom's probably cool with that <laughs> yeah she, she probably is actually um but no it's it's a great story you know it, it talks about how when uh when the pandemic hit you know Armand said he needed a, a basketball goal his mom went out got him a basketball goal she's out there playing with him um and just all the sacrifices that she made while they were growing up it is uh i don't want to give it all away but alex if you want to if you want to comment on it, I just thought it was a really special story. And it's, you know, two things, two reasons why a story like that is important that I thought about as I'm reading it. Number one, universities, this is why you open up your players and their families to the media so that those stories can be told. Because number two, what I saw from so many people who commented on it in our community, on the article itself, on Twitter, is, man, you know, love Armand, love the family. This was a good reminder that these are human beings with stories and, you know, that you can really get behind. Even when they play poorly and the team doesn't play well, they are likable and they become more three-dimensional figures as opposed to just, you know, 2D figures on a, t- on a TV screen. So just a, a terrific, terrific article, um, you know, and the kind of piece that I hope we can can get more of. And by the way, hats off to Tyler, who did a, a terrific job writing it. It was really, really good. Yeah, he's really hit the ground running in terms of, you know, some of the stories that he did earlier, I think in the fall and early in the season, he didn't really actually talk to necessarily parents or the players themselves. But, you know, the the story they did on Trace, I think, was really really well received. And in this instance, you know, he just he 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 asked he asked around and, you know, the, the thing with with all this stuff is with IU and and it's, it's not just IU. It's like, like this at a lot of places, you got to get permission to talk to the parents and and players and all that for, for these types of opportunities. But I think uh, it's kind of a testament to the work that he's already put in and done previously this fall that, that he was able to get the the access to do that story. And I mean, he knocked it out of the park, 2,500 words, well-reported, you know, got a ton of anecdotes and, and little stories in there that, so definitely check it out. And, you know, I think it's it's something that, like you said, Jared, needs to be done more often because it's easy to forget that these are, you know, human beings with everyone has a story. It's not just these guys aren't there just to play basketball and, and make fans happy. They're actually uh, people with 
stories and, and different journeys. And it was cool to, to kind of see them both open up about their relationship. And I mean, I hope that, you know, we'll be able to continue to do those types of, of pieces in the future. Yeah. They're guys who love their mamas and their mamas who are watching what you're saying on, on Twitter and on social media. And, uh, you know, that just want the best for their kids and, you know, are even more intense about the games than we are. So it was a great piece. Um, all right. Do you guys want to talk conference tournaments now or you want to do segment two and then talk about conference tournaments later? What Let's do you talk conference tournaments now okay. and then do That's questions. Just, just trying to delay I think this is the a, I think it's, talk. A, it, it's an interesting... Uh, okay. So, all right. So let's talk conference tournaments real quick because this is obviously going to be a big question. Um, they've talked about it several times on the Ion College Basketball Podcast and elsewhere. And Alex, maybe you can set this up. You and Dylan talked about it too and you and Andy talked about it. Also... With the possibility that teams could potentially opt out of conference tournaments, you know, also, I, I mean, I don't know if it's still realistic for the conferences themselves to cancel the tournaments, given the TV contracts that they have, but it's a pretty big question with everything that's going on with COVID right now. You know, do you want to bring everybody to the same place and potentially jeopardize NCAA tournament appearances for your best teams for a tournament that can bring in obviously some money, but in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean a whole lot especially in comparison to what can happen in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, what do you think is going to happen and what do you think should happen? What I think is going to happen is that they're going to, as many leagues as possible are going to try to play because as we all know that this is all about money from the, from the onset. I mean, if we can just TV be clear cash, about that, baby TV. Exactly. Cash. So I think, I mean, live sports are still a cash cow for, you know, conferences and, and TV networks. So they're going to try to get as much of that inventory as possible. Um, you know, I, I just looked at it a couple of things in terms of teams opting out. I think if you're going to play the tournament, you need to have every team committed to play. Otherwise don't play the tournament because all of a sudden, if you start having these, you know, what if the big 10 says, well, we have eight teams who we feel pretty good about or are going to make it right. But, these other six teams, let's let's play them in this conference tournament. Like I just like there's already enough about this season that's messed up. Like why add another kind of you know one off thing that the committee's gonna have to sort through or or you know try to figure out. I, I just don't I don't like the idea of letting teams opt out. And I don't think the conferences are gonna go for that either because the Big Ten tournament, uh part of the reason why it's viable is because you have all these teams and, and no one wants to see a big 10 tournament with Nebraska and Northwestern and whoever else the three or four bottom teams are in the league. So, but from the big 10 perspective, on the bright side, we this, might win it. Well, <laughs> cause yeah, we'd probably have to play in it. <laughs> Jared, it's a big 10 tournament. We're not winning it. Let's, hey, we won it last year. We could go back to back. <laughs> so, no, but hear, hear me. I want to hear what you guys think about this, though. From the Big Ten, from the Big Ten perspective, you know, when I talked to Andy on podcast on the brink this week, he was saying he had eleven in right now, but he thinks realistically ten could get in, maybe you know nine or ten. I, I agree with him, um, but from a Big Ten perspective, wouldn't you just want to try to play as many regular season games as possible and try to make up some of the other regular season games at the end of the year rather than risking? bringing 14 teams together uh, in a central. It, it's one thing like the NCAA tournament bubble. I feel pretty decent about that because all teams are there 
are in the tournament and they're all going to be committed to kind of doing the right thing so they can play their games. I'm not so sure that the Big Ten tournament, a team like Nebraska, and this is not me singling out Nebraska, but Nebraska has no legitimate case to be in the tournament. So are all those players going to be committed to all the protocols and everything that needs to be done if they're coming to the site? And and I just, I think it would be a complete nightmare for the Big Ten specifically if you have two or three teams get knocked out of the tournament based on something happened at the conference tournament. I'd rather just play. I'd rather just try to get as close to 20 games as possible and then move on from the big 10. Can they actually do that though? Like, is this conversation even, even worth it? Like, I mean, what kind of contracts and mean? stuff do they have? That's what I'm saying. Like for the conference tournament, does the big 10 have any leeway right now to change their plans three or four weeks out or I guess five weeks I mean, out? If the coaches all say they don't want to play what, and then what's. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the issue is it quite frankly, as I've learned as a sports reporter and, and, and writer in this, people are making this up as they go. You know, I mean, the NFL was considering a couple weeks ago was considering getting rid of the break between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, moving the playoffs all down one week, except for the Super Bowl and leaving the last week open for makeup games. Like, I mean, this was going on six, seven weeks ago in the middle of a season we're all making this up as we go. I mean, baseball is supposed to, they don't even know if they're going to have a DH in baseball this year. You know, they're still making up their rules as they go because, you know, they're not sure, you know, there's, there's all kinds of labor issues with that, but at the same time, they're supposed to be going to spring training a couple of weeks and people don't even know if that's going to be possible in Arizona. Again, we're making this up as we go. If everybody says, Hey, we're not playing the conference tournament. We're not shoving 14 teams in there without quarantining for two weeks or, or whatever. We don't know what everybody's going to have and all that. They could easily get rid of that tournament. And, and I agree with Alex that the logical step, if you get rid of the conference tournament or you don't move it back, I mean, you could say we'll move the conference tournament back and then we're going to move the NCAA tournament back and we're going to do this, whatever. I mean, they could do all of that. Uh, if they, but if they do, let's say, say no, no conference tournament this year, it's too complicated, it's too crazy, and use that week for makeup games. I think that makes complete sense. Indiana's got two; they got to make up. Where are they going to make those up on that. the schedule? I mean, Where it, are they going to make those up on the schedule right now? There's no, there's no to. real spot. We just had an yeah, entire week the, go this, by without. This is without the, this is up the a collapsible game. bye week, and Indiana's not playing. So yeah, yeah. I that, mean that plans out the window. Yeah, and and so again, it's. You could do that. And then, you know, you've got, what was it? Michigan state has, how many games does Michigan state have to make up, you know? And, and it's, it, you could just, I guess you could figure out where everybody's scheduled and, and whatever, and figure out a way to do it. Uh, you know, as many as possible. I mean, at this but, point, Michigan state might be better off just forfeiting those games. I, I, so, well, yeah, after tonight, well, they're, they're eight and five now. So they have the minimum. They could just roll the dice and see if they're in now. Right. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I it, look, I but I think it's 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 certainly a question worth asking. I think that some conferences are definitely, if the hierarchy is clear, they're definitely going to say, let's just not do this. You know, shoving all those teams in one city and playing in one building is it, it's just not smart. I'd also um, have to know how much the Big Ten gets from the Big Ten tournament and compare that to what they get from teams being in the NCAA tournament and figure yeah. and they'd have to figure out kind of what the well, I think Alex's yeah. Alex's point is great, though. Is that what if you send a team to the Big Ten tournament, they get the virus, and then can't go to the NCAA tournament? I mean, you're right. What's the trade off there financially of that, and what's the trade off just from having kids maybe who deserve to be in for two straight years not getting to go to the NCAA tournament because of one 
incident of having that. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating question. It really is. And I think we're, we're certainly to the point where in the next few weeks, they're going to have to announce something that yes, we're definitely having it. If teams want to opt out, they can opt out or yes, we're having it. They all have to participate or no, we're not having it. They got to announce something pretty soon. Yep. But don't you think it's a slippery slope if you start letting teams opt out? Oh, it is. It completely is. I'm just saying they might have to say that like, you know, this team, you know, if a team comes up with, you know, they think it's too risky or whatever. I agree. It's a slippery slope. I'm saying that they may get to that point where they, you know, late in the football season, they were letting teams opt out if they didn't feel they had enough on their roster to do it, you know, and, and things like that. So you have to, you know, assume that something similar is going to happen for basketball. Yeah. All those teams opted out of bowl games too. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, this all could have been handled better in terms of, the timing after the conference tournaments to the NCAA tournament, they could have made a two week barrier from the end of conference tournament and selection Sunday to the, when the games actually start. And I don't want to hear any, I don't want to hear any argument. I don't want to hear any argument though, that either that teams are going to be rusty because there's been plenty of conferences over the years. who have had that longer break and they've been fine when the tournament happens. So at least like, I mean, I'm not saying maybe a full two weeks, but at least put a 10 day barrier or something like that to where you can at least, but but to go from testing and all that stuff, yeah. Go yeah. to Chicago and then to Indy and think that everything's gonna go smoothly, I just think is a little bit naive. No, and I think we also have to prepare ourselves for the NCAA tournament for a team getting it in the NCAA tournament. You know, a sweet a team going to the sweet sixteen and then having to forfeit. I mean, you have to prepare yourself for that. It may not happen. It may not happen. They're not stopping games, they're not changing the schedule. Yeah, they're not gonna gonna push games back because a team has a, a positive case, a couple of positive cases or anything like that. That team's gonna be gone. And, and it would have happened. Big Ten player, if you get it, you're out 17 days. So if you get it at the conference tournament, you're you're, you're done. You're done for yeah. The year. No, I mean, and look, th- this didn't happen in Orlando, and a lot of people were saying, well, what if one team catches it? They're they're gonna be just forfeit the play a playoff series. We didn't do it. That didn't happen in Orlando. It still could have, but it didn't happen in Orlando because they bubbled them for months. You know, and that was an actual bubble. This is yeah, the tournament. This isn't going to be, be that. Bubble. It, but that was an argument I heard from people. Was, you know, I was talking about this with some people, and they were saying, "Well, you know, that was the threat of the NBA, and it didn't happen." It's like, well, yeah, because they actually bubbled them. You know, and and so this isn't going to be that. And I think it's reasonable to expect that that's going to happen to somebody, or it could happen to somebody. Certainly. Okay. Well, we will uh, wait to see what happens with that. But it certainly bears watching because it could throw a wrench in everything that's coming this March. All right, guys, let's do uh, segment two here. Let's talk about the state of the program. Hey, guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know, I have never listened to the assembly call. And to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. He's really not that good from the seat of his pants, though. It really, it really isn't. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast, chat mobbers, or watch those replays and see the between segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right, I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Alex Bozich from Inside the Hall. And guys, it is time to uh, kind of take a big picture view at the program here as we're deep into Archie's third season. 
a season in which I think we all agreed that the expectations certainly ramped up, um, you know, after giving Archie some time, some patience, bringing in a lot of his own recruits. And, you know, here we are, and we got this question from Matt, and I think this is a good jumping off point. Matt says, is it too soon and too defeatist to start thinking Archie has shown us what he's going to show us and start thinking of moving on from him? Is that just irrational due to losing, or is it justified with four years of consistent, inconsistent performance, zero tournaments, albeit with a probable one from last year? That's me adding that, not him. Uh, Terrible Big Ten record and one week ranked in four years. Ryan, I'll start with you. Um... What do you think? Is that is it too soon? Is it too defeatist? Or is it fair to start asking those questions now? It's absolutely fair to start asking those questions. I think it was fair to start asking those questions at the beginning of the season and saying, hey, he's got to prove something this year. I mean, we did that. We said, I, I wrote an article to Big Lee that said, this is his prove-it year. This is his, you've got everything you've asked for. You know, you haven't nailed all your recruits, but you've gotten a situation that is favorable to you. What do you do with it? And he hasn't lived up to expectations. It's fair to ask those questions completely. After that Purdue loss, I said, look, what more do you want to see? We've seen this same story play out year after year after year. Does it mean that Archie Miller is not a smart basketball guy? No, it doesn't mean that. He, he You listen to him talk X's nose. He knows what he's talking about. He His philosophy works other places. It's not working here. It's not that he's not a smart coach. I think Archie Miller could go to a mid-major right now and turn a program around and be very good there. There is some disconnect that is happening between Archie Miller relaying what he wants to his players right now. Either the players don't listen, aren't listening, and aren't executing, or there's an issue with communication. There's something going on here, though, because you listen to the guy talk, and you say, he knows what he's talking about in basketball. That is actually a sound philosophy. You look at certain things on the floor, and you say, I understand what they're trying to do here. And then you watch it play out and it doesn't work and it hasn't worked. And it consists, it has been consistently inconsistent, which is not a recipe for success, especially not in the big 10. And look, the big Ten's hard. It's tough. You don't get off nights. You don't get nights where you get to rack up wins and then save yourself for the big game. Every week feels like a big game. It feels like a must win game. I mean, they beat Iowa and you still go into Rutgers and you're like, well, you got to win this game. You can't take a, can take a game off. You got to win this game. And they lost it. So, yeah, it's completely fine to ask those questions. Now, if we wanted to get into the logistics of whether or not we actually think that he'll get fired, that's a different conversation to have. But it's certainly, certainly worth asking whether or not this job, whether or not he fits this job and whether or not he's ever going to get it right. It's also, it's probably a little bit too soon to ask that question about whether Indiana would sure. actually move on from him simply because a lot I'm could saying, happen between now and then. Of, because if this thing really bottoms out, they may have no choice. You know? Right. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that's a more nuanced discussion than whether or not you can start asking the questions. You can ask the question now. Yes. Whether or not he'll actually be fired is a complicated discussion is a much comp- more complicated discussion because it involves financial things. It involves the pandemic. It involves, does the athletic does the athletic department even have the money to do it? Do the boosters have the money to help out? You know, all of that stuff, it becomes much more complicated. Can you ask the question about whether or not he should have this job right now or, or whether or not this is going to work out? Yeah, absolutely. Of yeah. course you can. Yeah, and Alex, you know, the, the way that I look at this, and again, you know, Matt says, is it too soon and too defeatist to start thinking Archie has shown us what he's going to show us and start thinking and moving on from him? You know, I'm I'm at the point now, and Ryan, you're right. You know, we entered this season saying, okay, look, you know, 
I kind of expected this team to be sixth, seventh, eighth in the Big Ten, but said that the standard I was holding them to was, you know, top four or five in the Big Ten, being a an actual factor in the Big Ten race. And we're not there, and we don't seem to be on that trajectory. And I guess where I'm at with it um, is I, I do feel like I've seen enough. Like, I, I, I don't believe in the direction that Archie's taking the program right now. I don't believe he's the right guy. Now, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point in the season to, to say that one way or the other, because we have to, we have to see how the rest of the season plays out. And certainly if Indiana turns things around and if, you know, they make some run in the tournament, that is subject to change. But personally, you know, I've just lost visceral confidence. I just, I don't have confidence in the direction. I feel Alex, you know, you mentioned the defensive numbers, you know, this is a team that was supposed to be built on a defensive identity. Indiana's best defense by far in big 10 play was Archie's first season with all of quote-unquote Tom Crean's guys, that team finished fourth in the Big Ten in defensive efficiency. They're ninth right now, and they haven't finished higher than eighth in any other season. And Archie has not been able to do the single most important thing on a basketball team, which is have guys who can shoot and develop shooting. And so, you know, we're four years in. It always feels like we have these massive kind of holes on the roster. You know, and so, you know, all, all of those things, you know, I feel like three and a half years is a lot of time. <laughs> it's a lot of time to be able to know if you've got the guy and that's not to say that Archie wouldn't be able to get to a tournament or two at Indiana or, you know, be kind of a middle of the pack, big 10 team, but you know, we're not Penn state, you know, the, the, the standards are higher. The expectations are higher. And sometimes with all the talk that we have about, you know, well, the big 10 is so tough and you know, this guy's hurt and all of this stuff, it feels like the kind of excuses that lower tier big 10 teams make for why they can't be a little bit better. The good Big Ten teams don't make excuses like that. They just finish in the top four or five every season with maybe one blip of a season here and there. And I, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. You know, I just, I don't have confidence now that that's going to happen. Doesn't mean that I'm not rooting for him and the team and all of that stuff, of course. But I think every fan kind of reaches that point where viscerally you just kind of stop believing in the direction. And I don't know exactly when that happened. I think it was sometime during the Purdue game, <laughs> you know, frankly, yeah. that the seeds were planted before that. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at with it, Alex. And, you know, so I'm, I'm open-minded in terms of, Hey, let's watch the rest of the season and see what can happen. But, you know, I've, I've lost the faith. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily, you know, I try to stay in terms of big picture discussions. I try to stay within the moment of the season, which is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. I understand everybody's concerns i understand the discussion it's totally in my opinion justified and i think if you asked archie miller if i asked archie miller right now in a press conference you know if he's kind of satisfied or happy with where the program is in terms of wins and losses i think he would be the first to admit that the program hasn't performed up to the standard that he would like so with all that said ultimately coaching is a bottom line business right you either win enough to to keep your job or you don't and somebody else takes the job that's basically how it works and so long term whether it be this year next year two years from now he's going to have to start winning at a much better clip in order for him to continue to be the coach at indiana university that's just i mean that any coach that's in the situation of being at indiana knows that Ultimately, you're going to have to start winning at a, at a decent enough level. Or actually, at Indiana, the expectation is a lot higher. But you know, all of the concerns that Jared that you brought up in terms of shooting and defense. I mean, it's not just the perimeter shooting that 
drives people nuts right now. It's the free throw shooting this year. This is year four. And to me, like the basic, some of the most basic things of basketball and that, that you're taught first are be able to shoot, be able to take care of the ball and be able to guard somebody. I mean, that's what you, how you build a winning culture and, and Indiana right now, they're doing a decent job taking care of the ball. The other two things they don't do with any consistency from a game to game basis. And that's not a way to win in a league that's as, as tough as any in the country. So, you know, I understand the nature of fandom is that when you get to a situation like Indiana's in right now, every, it feels like every game is kind of a referendum on Archie, right? If they win like the Iowa game, I noticed on my message board, there was people saying, well, where are all the critics at now? Like they just had a really great win. And then you lose the Rutgers and all the people who were pissed after the Purdue game are now pissed again because they lost to Rutgers. And the reason that is, is because there's been now three and a half years of so much inconsistency that people, the tolerance for anything, any slip ups is, is completely gone. People are done with, with that. So, well, and it I mean, puts, it puts more pressure on the team that you haven't right. been successful in three years. Now it's like you have to prove something to save your coach and to get people to think about you differently. So it only makes it more, makes you I mean, more think about this. If there was yeah. fans this year, what do you think the atmosphere would be like? Bad. Because they haven't, especially because they haven't played well at or home. Or just apathetic. It's one of the, or just apathetic. Like people not showing up to games. Yeah. I, I got to say. Fun, it becomes oh, fun for nobody. It becomes no fun for the guy leading the team. It becomes no fun for the players. It funds becomes no fan uh fun for the fans that are watching it so you know i don't know i mean I, you, you get into talking about like how long you stick with somebody and i think you like right now is not the time for that discussion because there's still a lot to play out things can change indiana could turn a corner and then this discussion's moot and i do think there's you know ultimately there is something to be said for how last season finished. The fact that they probably would have made the tournament had they got into the tournament. Maybe we're not having this discussion uh, as spirited as we are right now, but still, I mean, same, the same issues were there last year that are there this year. So ultimately, uh, like I said, it comes down to, you got to win at a certain level. Uh, if you want to continue, there's, there's, it's not going to be kicking the can down the road forever being eighth, eighth or ninth place in the Big Ten because that just won't yeah, be tolerated. And, and the thing about last year is they would have squeaked in to the tournament last year, but that would have been meant that for this season, progress would be you're in comfortably and you're a yeah, factor in the Big said. Ten race. And that's the issue is they're neither of those things right now. And I yeah. like, as I mentioned the banner moment, I like some of the individual pieces on this team. <clears throat> you know, I really do. Like, I love Armand Franklin. That's a guy you can build around. Love Christian Landers' potential. Jordan Geronimo, Anthony Leal. You know, still have high hopes for a guy like Rob Finnessy to grow as a senior. You know, but the pieces overall just aren't working. They're not fitting. And to the point that you made, Alex, about, you know, it puts pressure on the team and it, it takes the fun out of it. You know, I, I feel like you know you've hit a point like this when you can have a win over Iowa, but you can't fully enjoy it. We spent yeah. that whole stupid post-game show after the Iowa game getting excited, but then saying, but, you know, we got to see what they do against Rutgers because we've seen this team do it before and they've fallen flat on their face. And then, by God, they go do it again, you know, and prove all of that, all of that naysaying right. And you just want to be able to embrace a win, enjoy a win. You don't feel like you can right now. This team has won four games. They, they've only had a winning streak of greater than two games twice. They had two four-game winning streaks was it? I think that might have been Archie's first season. 
when they played, they kind of had the schedule lineup where they played some pretty poor teams. I think they won four in a row. No, they did four in a row that season, and then I think Romeo's season, they ended the regular season with a four-game winning streak. And that's it. And otherwise, they've had some two-game winning streaks and obviously some, you know, some big losing streaks, but they just never... It never gets There's no consistent. consistency. Yeah. There's no consistent. No, and here's here's the most frustrating thing. This is the last point I'll make on this. You saw in the Iowa game what this team is supposed to be and what Archie's system is supposed to be. You looked at that defense and you're like, there it is. This is what has been advertised to us. You've seen it in moments, but that was pretty much a whole game where you saw what has been advertised about his defense and about his system for years. And you saw it and you're like, Boom. It makes sense. And we've seen it with other teams before, but you hadn't seen Indiana do that before. And then, you know, you, you look at people were posting clips of just like, this is a clinic on how to run this defense. It's a clinic. And then to watch them play at Rutgers and do something completely look completely different, you know, against Rutgers. And it's, that's more frustrating than if they had played like garbage at Iowa and then come out and played like garbage against Rutgers because you know the capability is there. And for some reason, they're not motivated to do that game in and game out. And that's the most frustrating part. This team plays down to its competition, and it has for all four years. Played down to the competition, played up to the competition, and for the most part, been competitive a a lot with good teams. But just rarely gets over the hump and does it, and then did it against Iowa. so it that's the most frustrating part is you see the moments where you're like, this could work and you get excited and then it comes crashing down. And that is the most frustrating part, I think, as a fan. And that's what causes that's what causes apathy. If there's no joy in it, because, you know, that joy is compounded right afterwards is, is smacks you right in the face with reality. That's not fun. You know, it'd be more fun to constantly be an underdog and occasionally take out a big dog. But you're not supposed to be that at Indiana. You know, you're supposed to be a program that cares about winning and that that is the biggest, you know, winning the right way, but winning. And and that's not what we've got over the last couple of years and, and even a couple of years before that. So and it's really the kind of the worst place for a fan base and an athletic department to be in is stuck in the middle, because if it bottoms out completely, then it becomes clear what the path is yeah. path is. And if it rises to the elite level, it's like, all right, then you have the person that you want to lead forward. But when you're kind of in this roller coaster, so to speak, of these these high moments, beating Michigan State twice a couple seasons ago, I think beating them last year once, and then this year winning at Iowa, and then you have the moments like losing at home to Northwestern in a game that I mean, really is at this point, uh, you know, looking worse and worse as as the Northwestern losses continue to pile up, and then you can't beat Rutgers at home. It's just, uh, you know. It is what it is at this point, and until 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 there's some kind of consistency one way or the other, like I said earlier, you you you're starting to see the fan base, the 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 lines in the sand are, are being drawn, and it's it's just not a it's not a healthy uh, spot to be in. I don't think for the program. Well, and and then just you mentioned the fundamental thing of free throw shooting. This whole team, the team's whole identity is built on getting the free throw line. And he can't shoot free throws. And it's been that way for four years. It's like, Archie, at what point do you hire a support staff member who specializes in, 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 in you know, working on shooting? And he said at the beginning of the year, he said, you know, we worked on that a lot this offseason. Well, clearly it didn't work. I mean, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk about that. It didn't work. 
And so you've got to change what you're doing and change your philosophy and things if things aren't working. And it just feels like that hasn't really happened. The three-point shooting, you'll see them have a game like they did against Rutgers where they hit a bunch of threes. And then you'll see a game against Purdue where it's they look clueless. And, and not only did they miss shots against Purdue, they were missing by a lot. You know, these weren't close in and out, rim out, bad luck threes. And if that happens to you for an entire season, you think maybe we need to change something. We need to work on something. It's happened for three and a half seasons now. And it's like, you've got to, at some point as a coach, have that awareness to be like, you know what, what we're doing here isn't working the way it did somewhere else or the way it did for me growing up or the way it did when I was coached. You've got to be willing to, if you want a job like this is what I'm saying, you have to be willing to adjust and, and, and fix things. And, and that I think has been the most disappointing thing is that the problems are the same and have been the same. And, and if you think, well, if our defense just gets better, our defense just gets better, our defense just gets better. Okay. The defense has gotten better every year. You're still having the same results because it's an entire, the game happens on the whole length of the floor, not just on one end. And I'm glad that the defense, that we have a defensive philosophy, but at the same time, that can't come at the expense of the rest of the floor. Plus all those other examples around the country of pack line defenses that really succeed. The thing that they combine with the pack line defense when those teams are good is good shooting. Efficient offense. (laughs) And efficient offense. Yeah, Yeah. those teams can actually shoot the ball. You know, the last thing I'll say on this, then we can move on. You know, we're kind of at the point in a coach's tenure, at least for me, you know, where I listen to the post-game press conferences and I just kind of get infuriated listening to it a little bit. And I know part of that is confirmation bias because I'm, you know, questioning the coach as it is. But it also feels like Archie's getting a little bit, you know, kind of defensive with some of the things he says. Like someone asked him, it might have been you, Alex, actually, asked him about the shooting, you know, and he's like, hey, you know, people say that we can't shoot and we went 10 for 17 against Rutgers. It's like, yeah, but you lost the game. You know, like that's, you know, not the point. You didn't even want to answer a question about, you know, Indiana struggles to actually back up, you know, wins over good teams in the next game. And so, you know, I don't, I have no idea if the, if the pressure is getting to him or if he can feel it, but you know, it, it feels like that from, from some of the comments. And so I guess the last question is, you know, what could happen over the balance of this season that would, that would, that would change the way you feel about it? You know, for me, it would be, you know, go on a winning streak, really kind of put things together, not for 20 minutes, you know, because even the Iowa game, they didn't even play very well the first 10 minutes, but they, you know, were obviously great in the second half. But, you know, to see it kind of game after game after game and really see things click and see the offense click and the defense kind of get to that, you know, that, that great level. I don't know if it can be elite, but it can certainly be a great defense. And to see that for an extended period of time, you know, and obviously if they do that, wins are going to come. But, you know, barring that, I don't know. It, you know, it feels like we've seen a pretty healthy amount of evidence over three and a half seasons. And so it's going to take something pretty drastic over, you know, the rest of the season to, to change minds. And I don't feel like I'm alone in that. I think that's how a lot of people are viewing the end of the season. I mean, what do you guys think? What, what needs to happen here over the balance of the season? Well, you look at it right now, they're a game and a half out of sixth place, which is only half a game out of four, uh, fifth place. You know, so they're two games out of, out of out of fifth place. It's like, I mean, this, this you know, is the this is the loser math that we do now as I. Well, fans. I'm just. I mean, saying, it just like, is. You know, you know like. Yeah, but but what I'm what what my point is though is that like, if you go on a winning streak, you're probably in the top five of the Big Ten. You know, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's that simple. But do you have any faith that this team's going to win back to back games at any point this year? I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying I don't really have faith that that's that they're going to play well one night 
and then come out and back it up the next. You know, you can th- Ryan, you can throw out the any discussion on where they finish in the Big Ten because the only thing I feel like that's going to make people feel like yeah, you're still going to have people that are willing to give it a chance, right? No matter what, there's always going to be yes. a, there's people that were willing to give Tom Crean year ten. They were they were out there. I mean, they were harder to find by that point, but they were out there. The only thing that turns this in any tangible way where you can actually feel a difference is if they make the tournament and win a game. I don't think going to the tournament at this point and losing the first game is going to make anybody feel good. I think if they get in the tournament and win a game, I think at that point you can say progress has been made because this has never been about Big Ten. Tom Crean won the Big Ten how many times? It's it's about getting in the tournament consistently and giving yourself a chance to progress. People, Indiana fans would not care if they finished though. For okay, would you rather have a top five or four Big Ten finish, or would you rather have a deep tournament run? Both. Tournament it's run Indiana's. <laughs> yeah. But this is the this is the problem. No, Alex the is right. Alex is right. No, the, you know why the tournament matters more. Because it's the last thing you see. Okay, the tournament, the tournament does the, matter. You but win the, thing the Big with, Ten and lose in the first round, doesn't matter. But the matter. Big Ten championships with Tom Crean mattered. The problem is, in between those, we finished 11th and 8th. Indiana fans want to be a factor in the Big Ten race. You don't have to win it, but you need to be in the top four or five. I think well, that does matter. they're not going to win matter. it this year. So I'm, my point is, is that they're not going to win it this year. So whether or not they finish 7th or 5th or ninth or 8th, this year... What matters is getting in the tournament and having some type of success. From a what's realistic perspective, that's true. Yeah. Because, I mean, if if, I guess what I'm saying is people are going to care more this year if they finish, you know, say they finish fifth in the Big Ten and then get to the tournament and don't win a game. People are going to feel better if they finished ninth in the Big Ten and then got in the tournament and win a game. Trust me, because... IU hasn't been to the tournament now since 2016. People are hungry for that to happen. I mean, they realistically, th- this program is nowhere close to winning the Big Ten right now. But this is a year where the Big Ten could get 10 teams in the tournament, and Indiana has a chance to be one of those teams. So get there in advance, and then I think you have a chance to at least turn the narrative somewhat. Well, and here's the best part about being in the tournament. You don't have to play teams from the Big Ten. You, you know, I mean, necessarily. You might run into one eventually, but... You're playing a tougher schedule now than you might in the big in the tournament, and so you you know, and you also play teams that don't know you as well. So a, a run is possible. Whereas I don't think don't a run to leave the state that you currently true. reside in. I mean, there all the advantages are built in for Indiana to do something if they actually even get there. But you got to get there. Yes, you know. I mean, who knows? Yeah, no. That I mean, that needs to happen. There's no question about it. This season, that absolutely needs to happen. And barring and it's that, PR, it's, it's going to be a real tricky for the program too. If the program, if the tournament's completely played in Indiana and they're not part of it, it yes. would be a meltdown of epic proportions. I mean, oh, oh. my gosh, I don't. Well, that's a that's a real uplifting note to end on. But well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. It's absolutely one hundred percent. You're true. not you're not saying anything false. There, no, Alex. it's totally true. <laughs> It's totally true. That's what needs to happen this season. So now we'll see if it does. All right. Coming up in our third segment, we're going to answer your questions. we got a bunch of good ones, including one about Indiana's pregame warm-ups, uh, and then whether Indiana basketball will ever be relevant again, as someone asked. Talk about that. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We say 
saved big money with our progressive home and auto bundle and used the cash to take a family vacation. To Hawaii. Who's up for a luau? Yeah. This is not a real testimonial. Sure, customers can save big money with Progressive, but not enough to go to Hawaii. They'll probably use it for things like the mortgage and groceries, or even a travel magazine, so at least they can see pictures of Hawaii. Aloha! (laughs) Yes, say hello to those beautiful Hawaiian beaches in that magazine. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. And so the, the only thing I want to add to that discussion is, like, the Big Ten is good. The Big Ten is, is really good this year. It was really good last year. But I do get a little tired of using the Big Ten is good. And I'm not saying you guys are doing this, but I do feel like other people do this. Using the Big Ten as good as a crutch for why it's okay for Indiana to be like oh, sixth, no. seventh, eighth. You know, like I, I no. I remember growing up watching the Big Ten, and those rosters were littered with NBA players. This yeah, Big Ten no. is good, but it's not it's not great. I mean, it's no, what it's I would good. say is and what what I meant by that is you might run into a Mac team that won its first round game. You know, I mean you're not you're not necessarily gonna have to play Michigan in the second round or Iowa or Wisconsin or the teams that know you well, know how to prepare for you and you know, whatever you might run into a team that hasn't faced a pack line team all year, you know, or hasn't played somebody as good as Trace Jackson Davis. And, you know, so that's what I meant by that. But I agree. I think that I've seen people like, well, the big Ten's good. If they're above 500, if they get to 500, it's great. No, no, you should be, I mean, Indiana should be yeah, the big Ten is good, good. year four for the coach. Yeah. So. I mean, Indiana should be as good in this, at, at this point, as the top tier of the Big Ten at this point in the coach's tenure. Now there have been recruiting misses and all that. And you in you know, I hear people say, like, well, he's missed on some guys in recruiting and he can't you can't control where kids go. But you know what? Other teams are convincing that kid to go there. You know, I mean, you're gonna miss some, but when you're missing all when you're missing obvious guys you should take or you're not prioritizing guys who turn out to be really good, that's on you a little bit, right? I mean, kids make decisions for the reasons they make decisions, but at some point you gotta you gotta hit more than you miss on some of these guys. And, you know, I wasn't disagreeing Jared with your overall point that they need to be better in the big 10 consistently. I'm talking about in this moment of time, the only thing that matters is if they make the tournament this year and probably need to win a game. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think think winning, if if you make the, I think winning game in the tournament is almost as more important as making it, you know I mean? Of course you got to make it to win one, but it's like, you've got to show that, you can do something, you know, with the opportunity to get in the tournament. Getting in the tournament, you can't just feel good about because guess what? They they would have made the tournament last year. So it take if you're taking a step forward, that means you got to win a game, you know, because you were going to be in it last year. And it's not really that high of a bar. Not at all. No, no. Sweet sixteen I mean, should be the like bar every year. We're not asking for a final four. I mean, people aren't asking for a final four. They just want to no. be in the so conversation. Have a, here's here's the thing about the tournament and why the tournament matters so much. If this team plays out the way it is, is, you know, eighth in the big 10 and makes it, but makes an elite eight run. All is forgiven from people. I guarantee you whether or not yeah, if we you make can, an elite eight, of course, well, that's what I'm saying a, a, an elite eight run erases all that badness. The tournament matters. And I've, I've said it, I said it earlier, but it matters because it's the last thing you see. It does. Like okay, last year, it we felt it really good going into the off season because we watched that Nebraska game. 
And the Nebraska game was the last game they played. It was one of the best results they had. Now we forgot conveniently Nebraska had like three football players off the street playing on the bench, but Indiana looked good in that game. And so it made you feel pretty good because, well, they definitely wrapped up a tournament spot and they blew out Nebraska and guys look good and this, and we end on that and you think, okay, we can build on this. But if in the next game they had laid an egg against a bad team or, or like, you know, a not great team, our outlook would have been different. The last thing you see colors how you look going forward yes how you look, look if this team can forward. actually string together three straight wins to make an elite eight that would be incredible it uh, would erase I'm not everything that i'm just saying but it would finally provide some counter arguments that i don't really think are there right now no like not I, at all i know, agree so. I, I don't expect this to happen jared but if it does people's attitudes change completely overnight yeah i don't even think it takes elite eight i think it just i agree i'm just giving that wait winning a game I, I'm, I agree. It hasn't I'm happened that yet. Example. Like, yeah, do something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I, I right? think that, I think what that would realistically, do is they're not continue. getting any higher in the big 10 standings this year. So that's, that's yeah. out the window. You make the tournament, you win a game. It continues. The one thing Archie's had in his favor, which is progress every year. It's been slow, slower than anybody wants, but that at least continues it. You know, now again, you, you would enter next season. Cause if, I mean, if you make the tournament and win a game, he's coming back for sure. There's no question about that. So you would enter I mean, next season. He's coming back for sure, regardless. But yeah, I think we, game. I think we both do. I, unless, unless, like, let me say, let's say this, this season falls off a cliff. Unless a donor is swooping in with a lot of money, Archie's going to be back next year. Like he's just, it's just, you know, swooping in with a lot of money and then being willing to pay to, to offer up some for the next coach as well. I, Archie's coming back. I, I just, I cannot see. I've talked to it's more likely people. than not. I think. I, I would say we're looking without intervention from the outside, like a, a booster coming in with a backing a dump truck full of money up. I, I think it's 90, 10. He's back. That's, that's my, I, ju- I just, I've talked to enough people around the athletic department and the program that just feel like it, it's, you know, and I've talked to enough people in athletic departments around college sports that nobody's making moves this year unless there's a bunch of money coming in because it's just the, the situation they're in. This isn't a normal year, you know? Yeah. Budgets aren't what they were and may not be for a while. That's true. No, that, I mean, that makes it much less likely. It's not a, it's not a normal year for coach. Yeah. In a normal year, we're having a different conversation. I don't know how different, but we're having a different conversation, but this is, this is well, and again, that it, the reason why that conversation is too early is we have to see what happens this season. Of course, because well, they're could, at this point. Yes, because yeah. if things go really bad, at some point it could be a financial consideration of you know we might yes. need to make a move just to have some excitement heading into next year. So we just have to oh, see trust, what, where we are in March. You, I mean, look, USC is in a situation where their head coach has been a disappointment every year he's been the head coach, except for the year they went to the Rose Bowl and won it, which was very early in his tenure. I think it was his first year, actually. Um, other than that, he's been a complete disappointment given the talent they've had. But guess what? He signed to a contract they can't buy out right now. But the consideration is, well, how many donations do you lose by continuing to have him be your head coach? You know, we're not at that point with Indiana where like boosters are threatening people. But I don't I mean, I mean, if you continue to not have success, when does that start to happen? You know, to say like, yeah, I'm not going to buy my seats next year. You know, I'm not going to pay for the the boosters lounge next year. I'm not going to sit, you know, there and drive down from the house to be disappointed every week. You know. Yeah. Okay. Let well, it let's play hit, out. Uh, see what happens. 
Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. No. All right, let's hit segment three. We can go through these questions kind of fast, but we got some fun ones. Um, How much time? Uh, we got like five or six minutes for this segment. Okay. And then uh, we can just hit the rest of them afterwards. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Nick. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Alex Bozich from Inside the Hall. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason uh, and all throughout the regular season. And after every game, we send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, guys, time for the mailbag. All these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, here first, I'm just going to present this comment from Bruce. He says, just a comment. These kids play so many AAU games that I really don't think wins and losses mean anything. I'm going to disagree with Bruce on, on that. I understand the frustration after seeing a performance like Rutgers. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree on drawing a line between AU and and I also just disagree with the premise of the players not caring. And what I think happens in a game like Rutgers is you see another team play harder and play tougher, which they do, and you equate that with Indiana giving no effort. And that's not what happened. Rutgers just out toughed and outperformed Indiana. But it's not that the players gave nothing. It's not that the players don't care. Rutgers was just the better hunger team on that day. Rutgers so. did to Indiana what Indiana did to Iowa. Straight up, I rewatched the Rutgers game. They just tried harder. They played harder. Wasn't Indiana didn't try. Rutgers just was hungrier. Yeah. So Alex, do you put any stock into Bruce's hypothesis? I mean, Gonzaga's players play AAU, right? Baylor's yeah. play AAU, right? I mean, they're winning. So I don't. I mean, that's to me. It's it's not. I mean, I think the biggest hole in that argument is is it from talking to enough people close to players and parents and program and all that i mean to, to say that guys don't care about winning is just wrong i mean yeah they want to win more than anyone uh listening to the show wants to win i mean archie miller wants to win do you think archie miller wants to be nine and seven no i mean it's hard to win and <laughs> at the level that indiana aspires to win at if it was easy then it wouldn't have been since 2002 that they've been to the final four or since 1987, since they won the national championship. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different era in college basketball than it was when Indiana was last, uh, you know, one of the top programs in the country. There's, there's, it's, it's been proven that, you know, a program like Gonzaga can, can rise up from basically nothing and, and be a national power. So it's not, I mean, just because you're Indiana on your jersey really doesn't hold any weight now. So, um, but but no, I don't I don't subscribe at all to the theory that just because these guys play so many games that they don't care about winning. Yeah, it only it, having the Indiana across the front of your jersey only matters as much as you know you take pride in that Indiana being on the front of your jersey. And I think these these guys do take pride in Indiana being on the front of your jersey, but. You know, the Rutgers players played like they took a lot of pride in Rutgers being on the front of theirs. And so you got to go out and beat teams. And Indiana just wasn't ready that day, but 
Hopefully better days are ahead for him. Uh, from Jim Tom Hoosier, do you think IU will be relevant on the national stage again in your lifetime? I'm a little older and have all but given up. Uh, my answer to that question is yes. I think there are too many institutional things that Indiana has going for it. It's a good recruiting base. It's a good fan base, good tradition, good facilities. You just have to get the right coach. This program can be good just like other program. I mean, who thought Baylor was going to be this relevant 20 years ago? You know, and look at them. And yes, it took Scott Drew a while to get him going, but they're rolling. You got to get the right guy and you have to be patient with the right guy. And this is the question people are going to ask about Archie. Shouldn't you be patient? Is it, should we really start over? Well, that depends on if you believe he's the right guy or not. If you believe he's the right guy, then you stick with him. That, you know, that's where I'm coming from is I've just kind of lost that belief, but it's all about just getting the right coach. It's college sports. So if Indiana can get the right guy in there, whether it's Archie or somebody else, they'll be relevant and start winning again. And if they don't, if they botch the next hire or if this hire doesn't work out, then they won't. I mean, it's kind of that simple. screw up back-to-back hires. That never happens. (laughs) For my sake, I hope so, because I've probably only got, what, 26, 27 more years of doing inside the hall before I hang it up. So I'd like to to at least go to a Final Four at some point, right? I've been to the Sweet 16 three times, but... It's about as far as I've gone in the, time. in the tournament in terms of covering games. So it is time. Um, okay, so the the last question that we'll talk about here before we uh, before we wrap the show from David. So Fish said this week on an indie radio show, whose host is a big fan of the Assembly Call, that he could tell simply from observing how the players were warming up before the Rutgers game that the team wasn't going to play well. Example: goofing around, smiling, laughing, shooting thirty five footers, etc. And he was proven correct. Is his observation valid? And if so, does that speak to a lack of leadership from players and our coaches? Why or why not? Uh, Alex, do you want to take this one first? Um, I mean, I've been to probably, what, 15% of the games that Don Fisher's been to over his career. So he's been he's seen a lot more than I've seen, but what I can say from from when I've been at games, and I haven't been to any this season, but in previous years, I haven't really seen any correlation between how Indiana warms up uh, to how they play uh, in the game. I mean, it, it all has looked pretty same and pretty standard going back to the Tom Crean era to Archie Miller. I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, difference. And, and mind you, I also watch the other team warm up, and I don't yeah. – necessarily see I, I don't see teams that come out and like warm up hard for 60 minutes and and i mean i look at like nba players i mean steph curry's like shooting shots from like the tunnel and warm-ups and he comes out and he's he's fine i mean he's a professional obviously he's okay. it's a little bit different but i don't know i mean this is the kind of stuff that comes up and is discussed when you're not winning enough games right this is this kind of goes back to the whole point that we were talking about in the last segment is that there's not enough consistency and so you look you try to look for something to explain why things aren't going well and this is uh, something that's been discussed now i mean i love fish fish. as much as anybody i know that's what i'm saying i'm not i'm not saying fish is wrong i'm just saying and i wasn't there so i have no idea what was happening because i didn't see the warm-up i mean trace didn't even jump for the opening tip so i think well, do you think that was, what I'll, do you think that was a say. result of warmups? Yeah, here's here's well, what look, I'm going to say. It might be com- confirmation bias. All I'm going to say is, you know, when Fish isn't known for being an extremist or for kind of putting, you know, half-baked theories People out on there. Blast, yeah. And then, you know, Trace isn't ready for the opening tip. Is that a big deal? I don't know. 
But then you look at how the team played, they didn't seem quite as focused. So I don't know, maybe there's something to it for that one day. Not being in the gym, I don't know. But some of the pieces add up when you're kind of looking back at it. Here's what so, I'll say about it, though. If those guys were doing that and they had won the game, people would be like, they were so loose in warmups. They were just having fun. Like, you know, I mean, it's, again, hindsight bias. I'm not saying Fish is wrong, and I, I agree. I, I, but I've seen that a lot in, in war, and Alex is right. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. Now, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whatever, but I do think there's a little bit of hindsight there. It's like if they were goofing off after winning the Iowa game and they're relaxed, they you'd say they were relaxed and they were ready to go and they were just having fun and they're having fun playing basketball. That would have been the reaction had they won the game because they lost it. It changes it. And, and so I'm not saying that he's wrong, but I'm also saying that I think that interpretations can change based on results. Yes, except that this was fish. That's all I'm going to say. This wasn't like yeah. Hoosier fan. And fish knows his stuff. I'm, on I'm Twitter not saying I'm not downplaying fish's experience. And, and I'm just saying that I think that people, there might be a tendency to overreact to something like that coming off a bad loss. You know, that's all. Yeah. That's it. I mean, he, We're done. No more he questions. Could be, he, he, he could be right. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to have to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thank you to Bob Thompson, who produces a lot of the music that you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next Tuesday after Indiana plays Illinois. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Damn it, I did it again. Take it from me, native Hoosier Mark Titus. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. I don't like carrots. Man, I haven't hosted enough of these shows. I keep forgetting that we play the drop. I know. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, Jared, what are you doing? Even I don't have to do that. I know. Um, all right, you want to run through a few of these other questions real quick? Yeah. First of all, I just want to advertise uh, like our po- like like the new podcast I'm doing at the Big Lead. Oh, guys. that's right. You got a new show, Best of Seven Podcast. Um, it's on Apple, Spotify, all the places you listen to podcasts. All right. Now, are you doing any more for this show than just showing up with a mic and talking? Are you doing any technical setup? No. Or planning? None. We have a okay. producer. All right. I, don't I just feel show so, up. I don't and feel do so this. bad. I'm hosting. I am hosting, <laughs> but I just do this. I okay. just sit and talk. Okay. The other guy actually hits the record on the Zoom. Okay, so, so you don't even do that. Okay. No, I mean I've done that before, but I, I don't even do that. Okay. Did you say earlier that the Illinois game got moved to nine o'clock? I saw it on Twitter. I mean, nothing's ever gone wrong using that as a response, has it? Mm-mm, no, so, fully reliable. I I did. Hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's hit idea. let's hit a couple of these questions real quick because there's a couple of good ones. We don't need to spend a lot of time on them. Um, let's see. Jeffrey asked about Stewart. We talked about that. Daryl says, do you think Archie is too stringent with calling the plays, uh, especially on the offense? Should he loosen the reins a little bit and allow the players to get in the groove or freelance more? I think he would, if he could, I think the guys look to him for the play. I don't know if that's just training or whatever, but I mean, how often do the point guards come across and not call a play and look straight to him? I don't know if that's by design. I have a feeling it's not because some other times they don't. Um, but it feels like anytime they look, you know, and they see a defense they don't feel comfortable against, they just stare right at Archie. And then Archie has to be like, all right, run this, you know? And I don't know if that's just a lack of development of the guards or what, but I mean, 
you would think a coach would want his point guard to be able to recognize and run his own things. I, I have a hard time feeling like that is told to the players. You have to look at me for the play call every time. I, I would be very surprised if that was the situation because you waste so much time doing that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the problem with the offense is um, that they're not getting good shots or executing. I think it's just that they're not making enough of the good shots that they're producing. I mean, there's hadn't there been a lot? Uh, I haven't looked too closely at, at that aspect of it, but I've I've had some people send me some stuff, like some charts and stuff about like the good quote unquote good shots that they're producing uh, is pretty highly ranked. Yeah, um, but in terms of them actually making the shots. I think that's where some of the frustration from Archie comes in from the shooting perspective is that he was a good shooter himself. And like, he's been, he's, he's asked about this stuff and it's hard for him to fathom so, guys making less than 70% of their free throws. Cause that wasn't who he was as a player or, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, your job I, I as a think, coach is to relate to players who aren't just like you. Yeah. Right. Well, here's here's the thing. It's like I can identify what's wrong with a lot of the free throw shooters on the team. Like just watching them, watch games and 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 look for these two things. One, a lot of them rise up through their motion, pause, and then shoot. They don't, it's not one sig- Trace does that all the time. When he stops at the top of his motion, you can bank that he's going to miss the free That's throw. That's a shooter who's not he, confident. Unless he line drives it through. That, that's the only way it goes in when he does that. The other thing is a lot of them come slowly up and lean back and shoot when they're shooting their free throws. Look for those two things when you watch Indiana play. A lot of them do it. When they miss, they're doing one of those two things. Sometimes you miss, it rattles in and out. But for the most part, that's happening almost every time. And it's like, if I can recognize that, like you guys have to be able to train guys out of that. It's not hard. I mean, again, Alex said it earlier. It's one of the first things you learn as a basketball player when you're old enough to actually reach the hoop from the free throw line is how to shoot free throws and how to be consistent in your delivery every time when you find a comfortable delivery, how to finish, how to follow through. I mean, you see guys go for their shot and pull their hand back after they shoot it. It's like, that's basic stuff you're not supposed to do. Every shooting coach will tell you that. Every shooting coach will tell you, lean towards the basket. Because you're not jumping, so you need something to carry you forward. So you're supposed to lean as you shoot and, and, and to follow through and to go with one smooth motion. Because if you stop, you're stopping the movement of the ball, and then it's all on your wrist and hand to propel the ball instead of the rest of your body as you're going. It's, it's all basic stuff, and yet they don't do that, and they have consistently not done that for four years. That's stuff, something that has to be addressed. And Jared, you've pointed out before, his teams didn't shoot free throws well at Dayton either. Never been in the and, above 200 in the country. And here's, so they've, here's never the been, they've never been above, even average in, as a free throw shooting team. And, and here's the thing. NBA teams are now have now gone all in on this version of looking at shooters. They look at free throw percentages. So if you're telling recruits... If you're, if you're, and, and it's starting to get out there that they look, they think that good free throw shooting leads to good three point shooting, not good three point shooting in college. They think good free throw shooting leads to good three point shooting. And if you're a recruit coming through and you're seeing a team that does not shoot free throws well and where the, the, the coaches clearly do not develop good free throw shooting, you might be taking yourself out of consideration for a draft spot somewhere. And so that, that kind of stuff's going to get around. You know, especially now that NBA teams are being so much more open about the way they're scouting shooters. And so, I mean, someone, you know, that's something you've got to fix. You just have to fix it. Yeah. And whether that's bringing in an outside look, bringing, you know, 
getting rid of an assistant coach, bringing in a new assistant coach, whether that's support staff hiring, I, I don't know. But there's got to be a way to bring in somebody to teach these guys how to shoot better. Next question from Scott. He says, okay, so between Trace Race and our mom, we usually have two consistent players. Uh, can someone go back to winning years and see what our point guard production was and scoring turnover and assist ratios? I feel our biggest gap is in point guard play. So if you go back and I mean, the answer to this question is obviously yes. You know, obviously, you know, Alan Rob this year struggling up and down, as we've said, if you look at all of Indiana's good recent teams, like the, the teams that you would kind of say were, you know, were great or elite, you know, they had an all time great guard on the team. 2016, you had Yogi. 2013, you had Yogi, Jordan Holes, Victor Oladipo. Uh, go back to 2002, you had Tom Coverdale, you have Dane Fife. Uh, you know, then you go back to the early nineties teams. You've got Damon Bailey, Greg Graham, uh, 1987. You've got Steve Alford, Keith Smart. So, I mean, college basketball is a guards game and you've got to have great guards to be really good. And this program has just really struggled with guard play. And that's why they're so inconsistent. And as long as Indiana is building their teams around the post and not the backcourt, they're going to be inconsistent, you know? So well, and, and, you know, in the tournament to win, I've always thought that you need, I mean, of course you need both. Like, that's an obvious statement. You need guards to get through the first two weekends, and I think you need guards and a post to win the championship. Because yeah. you need easy baskets when guys get tired from playing so many intense games. You need a guy around the basket who can lay the ball in. Just competent. You need a competent post guy. He doesn't even have to be an elite. But you need somebody around the basket who can clean up the trash and who can score easy baskets for you when your guard's legs go. And, but... That's the point, though, is that to even get to that point, you need the guard play. And and so I, I get building around an old school mentality of playing through the paint. Completely understand that. But you need the other guys to balance that out. And on Indiana's team, they, they just aren't. And Armand has, has turned into a really good player. And I love what he could become potentially as a junior, senior, whatever. But he can't be alone in providing a lift for, for you from the perimeter. There needs to be help. And, and the games where he gets help, on the perimeter, Indiana looks like a completely different team than they do when those other guys are absent. And the other thing to remember, Alex, is you know Archie didn't build his resume at Dayton with post players. <laughs> he built that nope. with smaller teams that were guard-driven. So I don't even think he prefers to play the way he's played at Indiana, but the rosters that he has built at Indiana, you could look at them, and your best scoring option has always been in the post. You know, Your most talented offensive player has always been a post guy. You know, now obviously Romeo's here. You had Romeo and Jawan, but you know, other than that, you know, what are you going to do when you've Jawan Morgan is your best player, and then you know, now you've had the last two seasons, Trace Jackson Davis is your best player, and you don't have great guards to give the ball to and to and to trust. But that but that comes yeah, back. To, that's not absolving him. That comes back to roster management. Yeah, and the guards like Ryan's point. Like Franklin's been really good and is someone that should be looked at as a building block for the future, someone that can be a really good player, not only this the rest of this season, but the seasons to come. But the rest of the guards, if you just look at them player by player, nothing consistently comes easy for them offensively that they do. I mean, you got to have a guy who can break people down off the dribble and create for others, or you got to have a guy that you can just throw it to and say, go break somebody down and get a bucket. And they don't, they don't have that. I mean, Yogi was that, right? I mean, Yogi in a late shot clock situation, Yogi could go step back and hit a three or he could set somebody up for a bucket. That's There's nobody on this team that you look at and say they can do something like that. And I'm not saying they have to be Yogi, but 
I'm saying that there's something to the fact that I just don't think the guard play in general is good enough. And and to me, that's the biggest deficiency I see. And that's another reason why it's like at some point I'd like to see Lander, regardless of whatever his shortcomings are defensively, have a little bit of a longer leash to try to do some things because yes. I, at least, I at least have confidence that he can maybe bring a little bit of that. Is it going to be consistent? No, but at least like last game, he hit those two threes and it was like he created those shots for himself. Like it was like him doing that. Like th- there's, I mean, Rob is very hesitant to to kind of go look for his offense and Al, I mean, Al's, you know, a fine player, a good, solid, he's going to be a thousand point scorer, but he's not somebody that you're going to like have as your first or second option offensively. He's not going to blow up a game on his own. I mean, you right, know, exactly. Well, the point about the, Lander, like this, this team is just like they're they're just not good enough to when they get in a game. That's, I mean, they did it at Iowa because Jordan Bohannon missed eight threes in that game. The second half, Iowa couldn't make anything. But thank you, Jordan. Like they, they just can't. They don't. They're not good enough to like separate themselves in a close game, right? It, it's, it's they don't step on somebody's throat when they have them down. And it's, and I don't think it's because they lack the killer instinct. I just don't think they're, they don't have the horses to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, you know, Rob and Al are, I mean, those guys are playing, like I said, they're playing some of their best basketball. It's just, it just hasn't quite been good enough. The thing with Lander, you know, Ryan, you think back to the conversations we were having before the season, what was the formula for this Indiana team to take the step forward that we all hoped they would be able to, it was, all right, Lander, is, he's reclassifying. He's probably going to struggle a lot. But if you get him rolling by February and March and he can be a difference maker, that's the key to this team actually being better than 6th, 7th, 8th in the conference because yeah. he's a potential difference-making guard. Now, look, we saw a short flash of good defense against Iowa, and we saw you know a longer flash against Rutgers where he made some shots, played better defense. You know, to to say that he's ready to turn into that guy now and be a major difference maker, <clears throat> you know, he's not there yet. But at least he's showing those flashes. And I completely agree with Alex. I mean, I think he should have had yeah. a longer leash this entire season, and maybe we would have gotten to this point a little bit sooner. But who knows? You know, maybe he needed to have that time on the bench to understand that he needed to play. He's defense. clearly had the hardest time adjusting. Yes, all and the so maybe all those things are true. But now that he's showing this, I completely agree. I think you've got to give him more minutes because that's. That's where you could potentially unlock he's, this season. Yeah. Is if he it's gets a, it's some a high confidence. it's a high risk high reward move. Let's be real because of the and way that he's was gone. the time for that. <laughs> Agreed, and that's what I was going to say is that maybe the high risk high reward calculation wasn't worth it a few weeks ago, but now you're getting to a point where you might have to take you might have to gamble. And and I'll be I'll be honest, I think this week is probably huge for Lander because the last time he had a week, you know, to practice without playing a game, he came out at Iowa and came out at Rutgers and looked like a much better player in those two games. I mean, he only played a couple minutes in Iowa, but the difference was visible quickly on the defensive end for sure. And he wasn't forcing things on offense. I mean, his, his tendency is to get beat on defense because he's, he's not a great on ball defender yet. And then go down and immediately try and launch a three or do something and lose the ball or miss a shot badly. Had that's been the pattern with him and why he gets yanked after four minutes against Iowa. He actually looked like he was trying to run the offense and looked like he was guarding off the dribble and got a steal and looked like he was more engaged. Now, it wasn't perfect, but it looked better. 
against Rutgers, same thing. He looked more engaged. It looked like he wasn't just one of five guys out there like you see in AAU a lot. And you see with really good players who were dominant in high school, it looks like it doesn't matter who the other four guys are on their team. It just matters who they are. And you could put anybody out there with them and they wouldn't, it wouldn't matter, wouldn't change their game at all. It looked like he was actually engaged in the team concept in both those games. This week, he's got another week to practice and maybe get some more run in practice where you're not just preparing for the next game because when you get into conference play, your practices are essentially scouting report practices where you're working on what to do against that team. You're not getting a chance to sort of, you know, explore what you could do on the floor with the rest of the team. So I think this week was huge for Lander. And I agree with both of you guys. And I think you're at a point now where five weeks ago, I wouldn't have argued this because I saw what he looked like on the floor and he didn't look like he fit. Now you need that guy. You need that guy to step up because your ceiling is getting lower and lower and lower every week. You need to raise it a little bit. And if, if it means you go through growing pains, guess what? Lander gets playing time and he comes in next year as a starting point guard. And you know, is not as shocked by the competition. So I, I just, I see, I don't see the downside anymore. A couple of weeks ago, I did. Now I don't. And the Illinois game is going to be a guards game. I mean, yep. period. Always is. Kofi and Trace are going to do what they do, but it's going to come down to guards. And you look at Illinois and you're like, oh, they got Trent Frazier. They got IO. They got Curbelo. They got Adam Miller. I mean, yeah. How's Indiana matching that? I mean, yeah. Who, who gives them a chance to – I mean, I'm not saying that Tennessee and Durham don't have to play well because they do, but they, they don't – it's going to have to be other guys. The other guy I'd say that I'd just like to see be a little bit more aggressive is Leal. Yeah. It seems like he had a couple. He had a couple open shots that he didn't shots. take, and, Arch, and right. Archie pulled him aside in that game. It was like, hey, right. shoot it, you know. And he's right. Archie was right to do that because he needs to shoot. Yep. Uh, last question on the topic of Lander. From Max, in terms of his development, do you think moving up a class was the right move? Basically, a year of college weight rooms and practices, but a few minutes versus a year of full game action at the high school level. It was. I think so. Yeah, it was probably the right move. I think. I mean, the big thing with him is the weight room. I mean, you know, he needed to be in a college strength and conditioning where they can change your body because he was even in high school he was small, you know, like weight wise. So, um, yeah, I think that that was the right move, and whether. It works out or not. I think it was the smart move, and there was a reason for it. I agree. I agree. Well, Alex, put you on, and you're making me tired. (laughs) (laughs) Getting tired. Uh, It's 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 later here than it is there. Ryan's like Ryan's probably just getting ready for dinner. Seven forty. Seven forty. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. pizza's on its way. Uh, Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, Alex, thanks for being here. Glad we were able to. uh, to do this i miss talking to you basketball with you every week so glad we were at least andy was able to come on you got other assembly call people coming on now oh yeah he even had me on after how many years <laughs> oh it was great i had a blast it was great talked jared a little white socks jared, trash jared left me and i had to had, <laughs> had to, to go uh had to had to go to some other assembly assembly call reinforcements uh, anytime you need it I think Alex. Coach, coach coach is the only one i haven't had on Think he, he's a fun guest. He is regulars. a fun guest. He is a fun guest. Yeah, Turn your butt cheeks on. The, I don't. I don't. I don't get to watch the post games as much as I would like. I mean, I sometimes watch the replay, but usually I've got this computer and the computer next to me. Now that there's zooms for both, yeah. I've figured out yeah. that you can't be in two zooms at once. So I have two computers now. So I'm in the opposing <laughs> presser and the IE presser. Oh, I don't watch 
both as much as possible. It's actually nice not having to get home at two in the morning. I can just walk upstairs and get that's in a, bed when I'm done. That's a bit of a drive for you. <laughs> do you okay, night. but do you feel more disconnected from the team this year? Like than than you normally do? Like do you feel like there's stuff that you're missing? Not being Yeah, there? and I also have a hard time watching the games because I have YouTube TV and it's delayed and I'm watching like the live stats on yeah. the screen and oh, things yeah. are happening on the live stat. That even happens, happens watching it on like ESPN. There's a the yeah. slight delay. I know. I hate it when I accidentally look over at the live stats and I see that like we scored or they scored. I'm like, ah. You know, I always keep it I've closed until timeouts. Yeah. 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 I'm kind of glad I haven't gone though because I don't, I don't, I really want to experience uh, an empty an gym. Empty, like I just, I, I feel like it'd be. I talked to a few people who were far. in the bubble and the NBA bubble. They said that was cool. But it was also a small venue. So you could feel the intensity of the benches and stuff like that. In a big open arena like that, I think it would be so weird. Yeah. What's the bubble? I felt like the bubble, the TV presentations was a little bit better than... Yeah. Well, it was because, again... They had those screens everywhere and there was just... They they set it up specifically for a TV TV broadcast. Yeah. Right. Some of the... it's not the IU game, but some of the other games I've watched this year, the camera angles have been so weird. Mm-hmm. There's one that's really high. Where was I watching the other night? That was almost from the, it looked like it was from the top of the rafters down. It, it was Duke Louisville, maybe. Yeah, the Louisville games are real, yeah. are real it's weird. Terrible. Terrible. Um, so, I'll be interested to see what the tournament games look like. I bet they will oh, set that up a lot better. I bet like it'll look bubble. a lot better. Yeah. Because they'll go out of their way to to set it up to look. Although they haven't said for sure if fans are going to be allowed to the tournament games. Yeah, that's going to be mm-hmm. big. I I would bet by then. The Lucas let, Oil, they'll have something somebody. They'll they're have, not going to play the national championship in Lucas Oil with no fans. Yeah, I was thinking if if it, there's going to be no fans, put it at you know the field house. Like, why would you put it in that big empty? You know, they could do something like the NFL is doing, like allow like ten thousand healthcare workers to yeah. vaccinate yeah. or something. No, like that 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 would be a really good idea. Yeah, and create some atmosphere. Like let them from the home states of the teams, or you know, something like that. Quick pop quiz: Where does Indiana place currently in the Big Ten in raw efficiency margin? Dylan Burkhart just tweeted out a graphic. Well, I know I did it Monday. They were sixth. Are they still? Yeah, sixth? I would say se- I was going to guess seventh. They're seventh because Rutgers just jumped over them after their oh, win okay. tonight. I was guessing they yeah were, in that six to eight range somewhere. Only five teams have positive efficiency margins. Indiana is actually <laughs> slightly ahead of Purdue. That's Go for yeah. I mean, Purdue's Go not. Figure. We're scoring five it, more points per possession than Purdue. Purdue <laughs> per, per, per hundred possessions. Possessions. Purdue yeah. isn't that impressive. Like, I mean, even when they beat Indiana, they hit a bunch of threes, but like there was nothing where I was like. That guy scares you. Like I know Trevion Williams is good, but against Trace, I don't, I don't see it as like he's way better. You know, I mean, like I just feel like there's we have nobody to go up on there the and team. Win. I know. Have to go I, up there I, and win. I completely agree. But Michigan like I State, look at that team currently twelfth in raw efficiency margin in the Big Ten Conference. Penn State is no Michigan State. Michigan State. Northwestern second to last, right? I'm not looking at yep. this, but I'm guessing yeah. Nebraska's last, then Northwestern, then Michigan State. And I'm trying to think. Penn State next or Maryland? Maryland by a pretty decent yeah. margin, actually. It's Maryland crazy. only plays good against really good teams on the road, which is so weird. Three and seven. It's like what well, I mean, Indiana. The games Indiana. Indiana has. I think the 
you mentioned Purdue. I think the game Indiana games Indiana has to win are at Rutgers and at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and sure. Michigan and maybe Michigan State if they play them. And they got to beat Michigan State at home. They've got to beat Minnesota at home. Um, who's the other one? Michigan State, Minnesota. You got to go beat. So this is they got to they got to win one of this week. I think. Does Indiana yes. have the most difficult schedule in the Big Ten? Uh, like, are they going to wind up with the number one streak to schedule in the Big Ten? No, Northwestern and Nebraska are because they don't have to play themselves. That's always how that works. Oh, right. Okay. Of the of the teams that aren't Northwestern and Nebraska, like, are they going? Because I remember when that schedule came out, I was like, well, they basically have to play all the good teams twice, and they don't get any of the bad teams. Yeah, twice. I mean, they get Ohio State once only. It's on the road, and they're I mean, only going to play. If, if I was Indiana, I was Indiana, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be fine with not making up at Michigan State and at Michigan, right? Oh yeah. Of course, I wouldn't mind playing Michigan State, but even that's a tough road that's, trip, you know. And that <laughs> team's—it's like that Michigan team is State like how many times in a row? I mean, I know. sometimes yeah. they're going to lose to them. I know. Yeah, and the other thing is, it's not like that team's not talented; they're just not playing well. Like they have enough talk talent about, to beat it. Talk know. about how bad you need guard play. Mm-hmm. There's your number one example. I know. Yep. All right, gents, this was fun. All right, was fun. Thanks for being hey, here. We food's will... here. Hey, look at that. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Perfect All right, later, timing. guys. Later, everybody. All right, we'll later, talk guys. to you guys Tuesday after IU, Illinois. Have a good weekend. Take care. See, See you later. And now a game of commercial chicken brought to you by Progressive, where we see how long Flo can go without talking about insurance. Ready? Go. Okay, so um, did you see that game the other day? <laughs> the refs, right? I mean, come on. They were totally out to get us. <laughs> that always happens to our, to our team. <clears throat> Drivers who switch to Progressive can save big. Okay, you win. We can't help but save customers money. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Is QuickBooks slowing your business down? Do you have challenges managing inventory, project profitability, or just getting paid fast enough? Get your business to a better place and graduate to NetSuite today. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com info. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com info, netsuite.com info.